good morning. It's game day. That's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting right now. I don't know what it'll be like about 6.30 or 7 o'clock tonight, but uh, I hope it's going to be a good day. And uh, game day always sort of sets the, the, the tone of the rest of uh, my week, so I'm hoping for a good week. So pray for the Panthers. Is it okay if we, we've already prayed for the, the hurricane victims, so we can pray for our favorite teams, right? Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of excited about the, the next service. I'm excited about this one too. But in the next service, we're doing a, a baby dedication, child dedication, and check this out. The little boy's name is Aikman. His middle name is Dallas. His, his, his last name is not Landry or something like that, you know, Tom Landry. But his name is Aikman Dallas Oilrich. And uh, his, his parents are, are huge Cowboys fans, if you, if you can't tell. But, but the Dallas actually comes from uh, his, his mother's grandfather, and uh, obviously, they named him Aikman because of, of Troy Aikman. And uh, when uh, Aikman was born, I went up to, to the hospital to, to visit them. And uh, Andrew, Aikman's dad, was telling me that there's a little boy next door whose name was Troy. And they didn't realize they were putting first names up on the, uh, uh, up on the doors. Uh, they thought it was was last name. So th- this other dad came over and said, wow, your, your last name is Aikman. And uh, he said, no, that, that's our son's name. We named him after Troy Aikman. And this other dad said, you got to be kidding me. We, we named our kid Troy after Troy Aikman. <laughs> and so I hate the Dallas Cowboys, but I just think that's a great story. <laughs> is that okay? We can, we can, I mean, I don't really hate them. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not like I do say the Falcons or somebody like that, but anyway, uh, that has nothing to do with today's message, but I just, I think it's funny, and it'll, it'll be funny in the next service, except I can't say I hate Dallas in the next service, right? All right, let's get in today's message. I'm excited about it. If, uh, if you have a Bible with you, open it up or turn it on and go to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 29. And I know we were here last week, but um, I just felt like a lot did not get said last week. And there, there's just some stuff that we need to talk about. We're in this uh, series called Greater Faith. And the whole idea behind this series is that we grow our faith greater and deeper in the Lord. And, and, and I want to tell you, if you didn't feel it last week, you might feel it some today. But certainly during this series, you're going to feel it. I want you to feel uncomfortable at times. This is, this is not going to be uh, necessarily a series that is like uh, one that's going to give us warm, fuzzy feelings every Sunday when we walk out of here. Because I want to grow us and stretch us. And sometimes that can be very uncomfortable. And, uh, and that's a good thing. I, I want you to be a little bit uncomfortable because I want you to grow in your faith and in your relationship with God. I want you to be able to have the kind of faith that we sing about during our our worship time in the services where we believe that our God can do anything. 
You know, during this series, we're going to be looking into the lives of some of the greatest men and, and women of faith in the whole Bible. And uh, last week, we started looking into the life of Moses, and today we're going to dig just a little bit deeper into his life. And I'm going to teach and preach sort of in the, my, my favorite way of doing it, which is I'm going, to, I'm going to read a little bit from the Scripture and explain it and rant on it a little bit, rave on it a little bit, teach a little bit. And uh, we're going to walk through these, um, these verses. And I'm going to keep touching on this theme, okay? Faith is a choice. And you, you'll see here in these verses, if you haven't already, may, maybe you recognize this last week, um, faith is a choice. Moses makes a decision to have faith in God. He chooses to have faith in God. And that doesn't just begin with him at some point in his life. It begins with his parents. When the Hebrew preacher starts talking about having greater faith in Hebrews 11, when he talks about the life of Moses, he doesn't just jump in with Moses. He begins with his parents, the people who begin his journey of faith. So if you got a Bible open, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, I think we've got the words on the screens. Hope you got your message notes out because uh, I've got some things I want you to jot down. Everybody with me? It's game day, baby, so let's just jump in, right? All right. Verse 23, Hebrews eleven twenty-three. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child. And some translations say he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. I mentioned this a little bit last week, but just for reference sake, let me bring it back up. The edict in Egypt is that every male Hebrew or Jewish child, and Hebrew and Jewish, that's the same thing, the edict was that every Hebrew or Jewish baby boy that was born was to be put to death. The Pharaoh that was in charge of Egypt had long forgotten about Joseph and his famine plan that saved Egypt and uh, helped them survive through what I would imagine was the greatest famine they had ever known during, during those, those days. And Joseph saved them, but now they've forgotten about that. And the Pharaoh has enslaved all of these Hebrew people. And the problem is they're growing by numbers uh, in such great numbers that the Pharaoh is afraid that one day they will take over. And if they don't take over themselves, one day when a foreign enemy comes in to attack them, the Jews, the Hebrews, might join in with the enemy and defeat Egypt. It's interesting that Hitler used this very same propaganda strategy in Germany to develop a plan, a final solution for destroying the Jewish people. So it's an edict. It's a law. You have no choice. When a, a baby boy was born to a Hebrew family, it, it died. And periodically, I would imagine, 
that Egyptian soldiers would just go through this slave village and they would look for newborn babies or look for signs of newborn babies, check out the baby, and if it was a male, they would kill it. I'm sure that lots of parents saved their children or tried to save their children. Wouldn't you? And Moses' parents did the very same thing. They hid him for three months, but when they could no longer hide the baby boy, his mother, Jochebed, Moses' parents were Amram and Jochebed. Jochebed took Moses and put him in a little basket, which really means an ark, which just takes us in a different direction. I, I can't go that far this morning. But she puts him into a little basket, gives him to Miriam, who is Moses' older sister, and she puts Moses in the basket and the basket into the Nile River and just pushes him away. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute, but first I want to talk to you about the faith of Moses' parents. One of the lessons that I want you to get out of this whole passage is that faith chooses to follow God's plan. Jochebed and and Amram were were not that much different than other parents. I mean, they they had a a son, uh, this brand new son that they loved and they thought he was special. How many of us all think that our kids are extra special when they're born? It's because they are, you can raise your hand. I know that y'all think I'm going to just get you to raise your hand and then I'm going to just kick your feet out from under you. But every parent thinks their kids are special. And you know why? Because every kid is special. And, and when these parents, when these parents see something that's extraordinary about him, or they see something that they think is beautiful about him, or they see something special in him, it's not that they look at him and think, wow, he, he's a baby genius, or wow, he eats his Cheerios quicker than every other kid eats his Cheerios, or he doesn't pick his nose and eat it, or whatever. That, that's not what they're thinking. They looked at their son, and I would imagine they did this with Aaron and Miriam and other children they might have had. They looked at him and realized that that child was created by God and that God has a plan and a purpose for his life. And they had no idea if God would save Moses or how he would save Moses. They just did everything they could do to save his life. And putting him in a basket in the Nile River that's full of crocodiles and everything else you can imagine that would destroy a child, it had to be a move of desperation. But out of desperation, they chose to have faith in God. Parents, do you want your children to have faith in God? Do you? Grandparents, do do you want your grandkids to have faith in God? That's not a trick question. Do you? This is yes, this is no. If you want your kids or your grandkids to have faith in God, they have to see it in you First, if they don't see you having faith, if they don't see 
your faith being lived out, they won't live out their faith. If you don't take your faith in God seriously, then neither will they. Jochebed and Amram did not have just a Sunday going to church kind of faith. They had an everyday faith. They didn't just wait till they got to church on Sunday morning to live out their faith. They stood up for their beliefs and their convictions. in in what had to be the most dangerous of circumstances. I mean, if you were caught hiding your Hebrew son, it would mean not only the, the death of that son, that child, but your other children and the parents as well. When they stood up for their beliefs and their convictions in God, by faith, they were literally taking their lives into their own hands. And you know they had to be afraid. What was a scary thing? Uh, The the Hebrew preacher says that they were just not as terrified of the king's edict as they were afraid not to demonstrate or show their faith in God. But they had to be afraid. I don't think Jacobed put... Moses into that water, into the Nile River, thinking everything's going to be okay. She's hoping, she's having faith, but she doesn't know what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you what other preachers might be afraid to tell you, but I'm not. Beliefs and convictions are different than thoughts and opinions. An opinion is something that you're willing to change. An opinion is something you're you're willing to be reasoned out of. But beliefs and convictions are things that you're willing to stand up for, even when it's not popular. You're willing to fight for them, if that's what's necessary. And you're even willing to die for them. And Jacobed and Amram stood up for their beliefs and their convictions against the government and their policy of exterminating all of these children. They stood up because they were standing against what they believed to be wrong what they knew was wrong, this extermination program for these Jewish boys. And let me tell you this. This is maybe the controversial part. It's just as wrong today when the government sanctions the killing of children before they exit a mother's womb. Killing children is killing children. And that's not me being insensitive to to people that have had abortions. 
It's not hate speech against them at all. I, I, I know up close and personal how devastating abortion can be. I know what the effects of that are like after the fact, not, not just a little time after, but years and years later. This is not me being insensitive to that, but this is me saying what's wrong is wrong. Just because a government sanctions something doesn't make it right. Just because a government says that something is legal and that it's approved does not mean that God says it's acceptable. And sometimes as God's people, we have to stand up by faith for our beliefs and our convictions. We have to stand up against what is wrong and stand up for what is right. Whether that's abortion or racism or whatever it might be. These parents decided they chose to live by faith. even though the culture around them was against them. So there's Moses. He's in the Nile River. Miriam, Moses' older sister, she's watching all this play out, and she sees that the Pharaoh's daughter discovers this basket and that Moses is inside. And if we were... Looking back at Exodus 1 and 2, we, we could read out where this, uh, or read how all this plays out, but since we don't have time to really just read it all, let, let, me, let me summarize it for you. The Pharaoh's daughter is having a bath party, and she finds the basket, opens it up, and sees that it's a Hebrew child. And I think there's two reasons she knew that it was a Hebrew baby. One is an Egyptian mother or or a mother that's not doing something out of desperation would never have put her baby in a basket and put him into the Nile River. If a mother was trying to kill that baby, there wouldn't be a basket. This is a mother who's trying to save her child. And so the Pharaoh's daughter, she knew, hey, this must be a Hebrew baby. But when she unwrapped that baby boy and saw his male parts, That's when she was certain that Moses was a Hebrew. That's because when Moses was eight days old in keeping with the covenant of Abraham, his parents, again, in obedience toward God, had him circumcised. And that circumcision set him apart as a Hebrew. It was a physical sign that he was a Hebrew. It, it, was, it was like a brand on him. And parents, I, this is not really a, a parenting message, but may, maybe, I don't know. I want you to see that they pushed their faith on Moses. 
They, they didn't say something like, um, you know, in conversation with each other, Amram and, and Jacobed, honey, wh- why don't we just wait till he grows up and let him decide what he wants to believe? No, they made the decision for him. When they circumcised him, it was a brand. It was a mark that no one could ever take off. And, and I know we're in mixed company, but I don't really see any kids. Every time Moses would use the restroom or take a shower or have sex, he saw the physical mark on him that identified him as a Hebrew child of God. So parents, let me ask you, have you branded your kids? And I'm not just talking about physical circumcision, obviously. But but have you made it clear to your kids that they belong to God? Have you made it clear to them that in your house, not just on the weekends or not just occasionally on the weekends, but every single day, we are a family of faith and we trust God and we're going to live for God even if that goes against the grain of our society. Do they know for sure where you stand on your faith? Don't give your kids an opportunity to say no to church. A 14-year-old is going to say no to church. He doesn't want to go to church. She doesn't want to go to church, especially if they stayed up late on Saturday night. But they don't want to go to school either, most of them. But do you make them go to school? Do you make them brush their teeth? Don't let your kids decide if you're going to go to church on a Sunday morning. You don't let them decide if you're going to pay the bills, do you? You, you? you don't let them decide if they're going to brush their teeth. You don't let them fill out your credit card applications. At least I hope you don't. If, you, if you're not letting them make those kind of decisions, why would you let them make the decisions on something that's so important? These parents believed that God had a plan and a purpose for their lives. They believed that God had a plan and a purpose for Moses, even if it was to die in that Nile River. And they chose to believe God. They they chose to trust God. And this, the, the, the kids picked up on it. And, and God rewarded their faith. How much courage do you think it took for Miriam to approach the Pharaoh's daughter? It took a God-like faith. And that didn't just happen one day. 
That started when she was Moses' age. When she saw her parents living out their faith, choosing to trust God, choosing to obey God, no matter what the circumstances might be, whether they could see God or understand at all what's happening, irregardless of what the outcome might be, they trusted God. And, and, and think about how God repaid this or rewarded this. Miriam goes down and talks to the Pharaoh's daughter, who obviously has not had her own child, so she can't feed Moses. And she goes to her and says, hey, you're going to need a nursemaid for that baby, aren't you? I know one. And so she went to Moses' mother and said, I just talked to the Pharaoh's daughter. What? You just talked to the Pharaoh. I just talked to the Pharaoh's daughter, and she's looking to hire a nursemaid to take care of her newly adopted child, Moses. Why don't you go and apply for the job? Only God could do this. The Pharaoh's daughter then turned around and paid Moses' mama to raise her own son. And talk about protection. He has royal protection now. Nobody's going to mess with Moses. Even when he's playing high school football and he has to take a shower after the game and all the Egyptian boys see that he's a Hebrew. You get my drift? See high school boys after football games, they have to take showers naked. The other boys could see that outward mark, that brand, he's different, he's a Hebrew. Nobody was going to say a word to him. Why? Because he's the Pharaoh's adopted grandson. Moses' parents chose to have faith in God and trust his plan. Let me read a little further here. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, and by grown up, he's about 40 years old at this point. So we skipped a lot of territory, didn't we? We we skipped most of his adolescence, the tween years, the teen years, the crazy college years at Egyptian Harvard University. He's, He's about 40 years old. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What? I mean, if if you're the Egyptian world, and and honestly, if you would have talked to most people who were Hebrews, they would have thought to themselves, and, and maybe even said it out loud to him, are you crazy? You you have everything that a a 40-year-old man could want. You have everything that a teenager could have. You've got the best education. You've got an Egyptian Harvard education. You've got all the, you've got a crib like nobody's business, this awesome house, the best food, the best women. You've, You've got it all. But he refused to live as an Egyptian. Verse 25, he chose 
to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I'll tell you part of what makes this decision, or at least helps inform Moses' decision, it is that at 40 years of age and after having everything that the secular world could offer him, Moses Moses knew that there was more to life than that stuff. Moses knew that those pleasures come and go, that that they don't last. Instead, verse 26 says, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses is banking that there is a greater reward with God than what he had experienced in pleasures and treasures in Egypt. We talked about this a little bit last week, that Moses had an identity crisis. Because he's, he's living in the Pharaoh's palace, he, he's living as a, as a prince in Egypt, and, and so his Egyptian mama is raising him to be Egyptian. But then he has his biological mom, who, who has influence in his life probably at least until he's 20 or so, And she is influencing him. And so on one hand, this Egyptian mama is saying to him, Moses, one of these days people are going to bow down before you. You're in line to be the king of Egypt. One of these days you are going to be hailed and remembered as an Egyptian god. One day people will say about you, maybe inscribe on the pyramid walls of your tomb, that there was no greater king than Moses, but his biological mama. She was also pouring into his life, and she was saying, Moses, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. There is a God, and you're not him. See, she knew, she, she knew what he was learning in the Pharaoh's home. And she would pour God's values into Moses. She poured a Hebrew godly identity into him. And it took a while. It it took about 40 years for him to realize that this world had nothing to offer him. It took him about 40 years to make the decision, I want what God has to offer. I want to live for him rather than settle for what the Egyptian Pharaoh has to offer. So he chose God's purpose over Egypt's popularity. And that's a choice that faith makes. Faith chooses 
purpose over popularity. You've got to make a choice. And some of, some of you in this room, others of you listening to this message right now on our podcast, you are trying to live between both worlds. You, you, you dance in the world, then you try to, to dance in, in, with the Lord. You, you, you try to walk this line. You've got to make a choice. You have to decide who you're going to live for. Are you going to live for God and follow his purpose and plan for your life? Or are you just going to keep living for this world and the pleasures that it has to offer? You cannot live between the two worlds. And increasingly, listen, I grew up in the South. I grew up here in North Carolina, in West Charlotte. North Carolina is the buckle of the Bible belt. And when I was growing up, you could just be a casual, cultural Christian. Everybody around you went to church. As far as you knew, everybody was a Christian. You didn't know who was and who wasn't because everybody just did the church thing. Not so anymore. And every day we live more and more in a world where you're being forced to choose. Who are you going to live for? You're going to live for yourself? You're going to be your own God? You're going to live for the pleasures of this world? Or are you going to choose to, to submit yourself to the authority of God and live according to his plan and purpose? Because let me tell you something. It can cost you popularity. Let's go a little further here. Verse 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Why was the king angry? Because Moses had killed an Egyptian. See, Moses knew that God had a plan and purpose for his life. His mama had been telling him that. And at some point, he realized that he was in this unique situation where he was a Hebrew, but he had grown up Egyptian. And if he just showed himself as a deliverer, that all, all the people, uh, all the Hebrew people would just follow him and, and do whatever he asked. And he killed this Egyptian taskmaster, probably thinking that that would be the catalyst event that would begin his leadership journey. But, but that's not what happened. He became a wanted man and he had to flee Egypt because the Pharaoh was looking for him to serve Egyptian justice on this Hebrew who had killed the Egyptian. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Let me explain this and we're going to wrap up with Moses today. Faith chooses, or faith chooses to trust and obey God no matter what. 
So God, 40 years after Moses is living in the desert, so at 40, he leaves Egypt. At about age 40, God speaks to him through a bush that was on fire but wasn't being consumed. And he told Moses, here's, here's the purpose, because you've been right, Moses. Your mama was right, and you've been right to believe her. I do have a plan and purpose for your life. And that plan and purpose is that you go back to Egypt, where you, your wanted poster is still up in the, um, in the post office. And I want you to tell the Pharaoh to let my people leave, to set them free. So Moses went back, and there's this great back and forth between Moses and God and Moses and the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh and Moses and Moses back to God. And because the Pharaoh refused to let the Hebrews go free, God sent 10 plagues on them. You know why God sent 10 plagues on them? Why not just one? Like, I'm going to talk to you about the 10th one, but why not just do the 10th one, the, the worst one, first? What's the other nine about? Is that just you showing off God? No, God loved the Egyptians. I would even say that God loved the Pharaoh. God wanted to change the Pharaoh's heart and mind, but he was disobedient. And every plague that God sent on the Egyptians was to demonstrate who God really is. Every plague was targeted at a different God in Egypt. For example, when God cut out the lights in Egypt, when he made it go dark, actually, it didn't go dark everywhere. Because the Hebrews are living in the land of Goshen. Everywhere else, complete darkness. Except over here where the Hebrews are. Now, now the Egyptians had been thinking, okay, all these other gods failed us. But not Ra. The sun god, Ra. He's not going to let us down. Ra will be there for us. He can handle this god. And then God cuts off the light switch. So all of these Egyptians are down here in Egypt in total darkness and looking over here in this one area where God's people are and the lights are still on there. And let me tell you something, that was as much for the Hebrew people who had lived for about 400 years under Egyptian slavery. It was to show them who God really is. Pharaoh still hardened his heart. So God told Moses to go back and tell his people, kill a lamb, sprinkle the blood of that lamb over the door frame, prepare the lamb, eat it all. It gave him very specific instructions on how to eat this meal. And if you'll do this, when the death angel passes over, that's why it's called Passover, when the death angel passes over, he will pass over every home and save the firstborn in every home when he sees the blood sprinkled on the door. Now, if you're a Hebrew, you have to be thinking, how is this going to help us? 
It had never been done before. God had never asked them to do this before. This was a brand new thing. They couldn't Google this to see about the other people who had done all this before and, you know, how did it work out for them? They just didn't have that. And I'm sure that even though they did it, even though they obeyed God, they were asking themselves questions like, how is this going to work? I mean, if, if the death angel is going to come over and kill every male, uh, the firstborn male in every home, including all the animals, how is just eating a lamb and sprinkling some blood over the doorframe, how is that going to help? How is that going to save us? And it doesn't matter. They didn't have to understand how it works. They just had to do it. They just had to trust God that he knew what he was doing, that he would live up to his promises, and that if they obeyed him, he would take care of them. And so he did, because they did. They trusted and obeyed out of choice, a God that they could not see, in circumstances they could not understand, They could not figure out how the end worked, but they didn't have to because they trusted in God. And I know that for some of you this morning, believing in Jesus as the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world and how his blood could have been poured out and offered up for the forgiveness of your sins 2,000 years ago, how does that affect you? And I... You don't have to understand it. You just have to trust it and obey it. So if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then today I ask you to trust and obey. Trust what God tells us in the Bible. Obey it. Obey him and be saved. Let's stand together. And once you're standing, I want you to bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, so much to pray for. Uh, We've prayed this morning. Adam led us in prayer um, for all these who are in the wake of Hurricane Irma. So, Lord, just again, we lift them up to you. Um, You're a great God. We don't understand why things like this happen. But again, we don't have to understand. We just have to trust you that you have a purpose and a plan and be obedient to you and do the things that you ask us to do. You're the God of life, not just a physical earthly life, but you're the God of, of spiritual, supernatural, eternal life. And we have that life when we trust and obey. When we trust what you tell us in your word, that you love us so much, you sent your only son to down the cross, and that whosoever, which means any of us, whoever will believe in Jesus and believe in that sacrifice and accept that sacrifice will not perish but have everlasting life. So I pray, Lord, right now for the person who's never trusted that plan and never been obedient to confess with his mouth and believe in his heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And so if that's you this morning, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never trusted and obeyed, trust and obey right now, just say, Jesus, today I am trusting what you say in the word. I don't understand all of it. I don't know how it works, but I'm trusting what you say in the Bible. That you love me, that through Jesus you died for my sins, that I can be forgiven of my sins, I can have purpose and a plan to live out today and a future reward, the one that Moses was looking forward to, a home in heaven. And so today, Jesus, I trust you and confess I'm a sinner. I trust that Jesus is my Savior. I ask for forgiveness. Now, Jesus, fill me with the power of your spirit to give me the courage that I need to live every day for the rest of my life following after you. Jesus, it's in your great name that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed.